the nature of your emergency. Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, joined this morning by my new friend, Mr. Charles Smith. Charles, how are you? I'm doing great, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. You're in Massachusetts, and I just had this discussion with my husband last week because we were watching um, a documentary on an investigation that was done in Massachusetts, and he insists that you say, Massachusetts. So can you please give us the correct enunciation for the name of your state? Well, as long as I've lived here, which is most of my life, it's been Massachusetts. T, right? Yeah, yes, yes. Good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> Thank you. I feel vindicated this morning. So this is going to go welcome. well already. Just don't send your husband after me. <laughs> <laughs> so Charles, we're going to get into some of your background and what you're doing now, but to everybody who is tuning in, if you have ever been diagnosed as somebody with PTSD, whether it's self-diagnosed or professionally diagnosed, I want you to stick around and listen to today's episode because Charles is going to talk to us about CPTSD, which is not something that most people talk about. And yet it's something that I believe that anybody in our community actually should be diagnosed with instead of PTSD. So stick around. And then we are going to be giving away a tank made out of bullets and um, whoever comments the most within the next 24 hours, I will send that your way. So if you have any questions for us along the way, if you want to banter, make fun of me, make fun of Charles. We're all <laughs> we're all family here. So go ahead and put all those comments down in the comment box. Now, Charles, the way that I want to start this out, if it's okay with you, is you said something. So I pulled a quote from your website. And what you said was that I felt like the world owed me for my loss. And I sat there and I reread that several times and it was so profound to me after reading your bio. So can you just take us a little bit, a little bit back into your past and tell us a little about yourself? Well, um, I was orphaned by the time I was 11 years old. My mother passed away of addiction, pills and alcohol when I was six. And then my father moved me and my sister around all over the country, Texas, Arizona, Connecticut, different parts of Massachusetts. It's all in my book, 10 Homes in 11 Years. And um, then he passed away when I was 11. And I still remember that, that morning specifically like it was yesterday. I woke up. And I could see him out, outside of our bedroom. Me and my father shared a, a bedroom. We were uh, dirt poor at the time. And um, I had an eerie feeling come over me when I seen my father. And I, um, I went over to him. I hugged him. And I said, Dad, I want to stay home from school. And he told me I can't because I already missed a lot of school. I stayed back in the second grade. And I went in the bathroom. I shoved my finger down my throat. And long story short, he passed away on me, or he passed out on me twice that day. The second time he passed out on me was at home 
and I went uh, over my neighbor's house, grabbed her, and then we rushed him to the hospital, and he died when I was um, holding his hand. And yeah, that's that's why I felt the world owed me one. But now, now, now I feel like I owe the world, you know, just for being here. You know, it's it's weird how things go because, like, I was homeless twenty years ago, and I that was my crucible. I felt it was the worst time of my life when I was back there, but now I look at it now, and like that was the most profound time of my life because it changed my life seeing other veterans and uh, my brothers, you know, hope, hopeless too and realizing that I'm not the only one. Yeah, and it, something that's coming up for me right now is that most kids at the age between three and 11, they're thinking that the world owes them something because their parent took away their iPad, right? And you went through something that most kids will have never have had to have gone through as a child. And I can't imagine what that was like. So after your dad passed away, then what happened? After my father passed away, my grandfather caught wind of it from Massachusetts. And... <laughs> I try to keep it light. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, um, you know, he he sent my uncle down to get us. And we were being um, taken care of by my sister's best friend back then for a couple of days. And my uncle came to get us. And my uncle and the state were in the restaurant that we were in at the same time the state was ready to get us, you know, bring us into foster care. And then um, my uncle came and like, nope, they're coming with us or with me and give them the paperwork and they let, they let us go with my uncle. But we were that close to being, uh, you know, taken into foster care. So what was the journey then from going into going under their care rather to you joining army basic it was my my friends were like my family because at that time i pushed away any biological family and now that i've talked about it over a million times i come to believe that i just didn't want anyone taking my father and my mother's place. And anyone that did, I've, I felt resentment towards, you know, and um, so my, my friends turned into my family and I, we, we did stuff that teenagers do, you know, growing up and all that. I, you know, drinking and partying and, I got into harder drugs where my friends didn't. Um, I also uh, failed my way through high school because I really didn't care. 
And when I went into the military, I was pretty bad off with uh, um, crack cocaine and drinking not so much, but the crack cocaine was like my drug of choice. And so I, my, my aunt told me to get out, get a job, but don't come back. And I went out, I went in, I went to the recruiter station. I joined the military. I came back and said, I'll be gone in a month. Now I know on your bio, you talk a lot about some things that had taken place. Um, I couldn't distinguish if it was during the time or after you had gotten out. So talk us a little bit through what I, what I want to know is the process between where, where that story just stopped and where you learned what CPTSD is completely. Okay. Well, in the military, I had a couple triggers. Um, one was a Bradley explosion that I was in. I, we were in California, actually, at the National Training Center. And, um, we were firing our, our Bradley downrange and we fired one round and then we fired another round. And the, all I remember seeing is the turret flying off the tank and the tank making a louder noise than I've ever heard in my life, filling up with smoke. And then, um, the bystanders told me that I got out of my tank after I released the back of it, got out of my tank, got my crew out, which were burned and um, uh, blinded by the explosion. And then I, I just sat there and that's one of my triggers is loud noises and tight spaces and that. Um, and then I was in Cuba for six months, and that turned into another trigger because I was in a lot of riots when I was in Cuba. We, we had Cubans and Haitians in camps in 95. They were trying to transition from the United States or from their countries to the United States. And we couldn't just let them come over, so we had them stay in camps, and they, let's just say they didn't like that much. So they, they um, decided to riot a lot. So I, th I think I know what you're talking about with the timeline. Um, I, after the military, my uncle and my grandfather died about a month apart in 2000. And... They both died of cancer, and oh, I'm back. Did I miss? Okay, you're good. Okay, so yeah, that was one of the hardest times of my life. I was in a really dark depression, and I um ended up cutting on myself with a razor blade just to feel something other than what I was feeling, which I 
now known to be more common than it really should be. And um, I ended up trying to take my own life because of all the all the de depression and everything was just coming to a head. Not to mention losing them turned out to be like losing my father all over again. You know, and I, it was just so horrible. You know, and then at that time, after I tried taking my life with a bottle of sleeping pills, my friends found me, and then I was rushed to the hospital, and then I became homeless because where I was living didn't want me back. I was living, living with some friends. They didn't want me back because of what happened. And so I, once I was homeless and I found shelters, VA shelters, veteran shelters, I ended up going to the VA doctors mm -hmm. and they told me about PTSD. And that's where I found out that I was diagnosed with PTSD. And I had it all my life. I had it since I was six years old. And then I, yeah, and then I found out about compounded PTSD or complex PTSD. It's called both. So for anybody who's not familiar with, what is the difference between somebody suffering from CPTSD versus just PTSD? PTSD is like one trigger. Like, um, if you're in a firefight or you're in a, um, if you have uh, a car accident or something like that, and you're, you have hypervigilance, you have flashbacks, you have um, nightmares about it, then that is like one trigger. What compounded PTSD is, I look at it like a layer cake, mm -hmm. kind of, because um, it's like my mother's death, my father's death, everything they have in between there. Um, you'd have to read the book, but everything they have in between there, and then my uncle's death and my grandfather's death and the tank explosion, and it the layer cake just keeps growing and growing and growing. And you see that a lot in first responders because a lot of first responders experience a lot of different traumatic events and a lot of, um, a lot of triggers, even if they don't realize it at the time. And a lot of us, a lot of us men, we try to hide it. You know, we try to, um, push it down, you know, where I, I, I personally know people that have lost their lives because they tried to push it down. And that's one reason why I come on these shows, you know, because I want to make sure that if somebody hears this, then they have a second thought, hey, maybe I should get some help. So going along those lines, then um, in my coaching practice, I like to explain the difference in the same way that you just did, where 
you may have a female who was raped as an example. And I like to use the metaphor of a Rubik's cube. So that entire Rubik's cube will have all black stickers on it. But in the essence of first responders or military members, the Rubik's cube is colored in all these different colors and that making up all the different incidents. And even worse than that, you try to put the pieces back together, but it's as though we're just scattering the shit out of everything and making it worse. So in your experience, what do you think has helped to make it feel better? Coping skills, definitely. Um, meditation, yoga, that sort of thing. But that works for me. Um, we, need, we all need to find our own coping skills. Um, I have a, a book on addiction that it it goes into it really goes into uh depth on coping skills and wellness the eight dimensions of wellness um emotional physical all that i have a, a super personal question for you what took sure. you from the place of having all of these things having had happened to actually wanting to do something to learn how to develop those coping skills. What was that bridge for you? I would say it was the, uh, the homeless situation, but then now more than ever, it's my son. You know, it's, it's, I, it's not just me anymore. You know, he's, he's 10 years old and, that brings me to something that I, I always uh, tell people about my suicide attempt. You know, I always tell people that was 20 years ago. My son is 10. You do the math. You know, if I, if I succeeded back then, then he wouldn't be here. Yeah. I wouldn't be a seven time author. I wouldn't have opened a, inspirational shop just a couple days ago it's got cups and all kinds of stuff on it um i wouldn't be here talking to ashley you know it, the what ifs and what could have happened we just had somebody um the other day walking on a, a bridge in in worcester or worcester to shrewsbury um, and a friend of mine said that her, his sister seen the guy walking one minute and then the next minute he was gone and this bridge is like 30 feet high. The guy jumped a bridge hmm. and the cops, you, she said that there was, um, police boats there, like right on, right on the spot, but they couldn't find the body, but that's, that's why I, that, you know. That's why I, I say that all the time in every podcast, because you never know, like that guy, you never know what could have happened in his life after the traumatic event or the depressed mood that he was in. Yeah, you, know, you, you just, uh, you said something that really stuck out just now. You said depressed mood. And I've interviewed people who've been on that bridge before and who've taken that leap and their very first thought, and maybe you've also heard of similar stories, is they wish that they hadn't done it almost instantly. So, yeah. you know, permanence is really something that we need to consider. And 
I I heard Charlie Kirk talking about this recently because somebody from his team committed suicide um, this year. And he said that we don't talk enough about the reasons why us committing suicide is so selfish. And I was like, wow, like that's a pretty blatant thing to say, right? But we don't. We we feel and from people I've talked to, it's just so self-consuming that all that we're thinking about is us without ever thinking about the fact that, as you just said, it could be a depressive mood. And we know that to be true from everybody who has healed from it and felt better eventually and developed and acclimated with the coping skills. And then there's the people around us, right? So I can't imagine the contrast. And I would guess that it's something you may reflect on often by knowing that, you know, 20 minus 10, like there's a massive difference between what could take place, not only from 10 years ago, but from 10 years ago to now. You never know yeah. what life has in store for you if you end it early. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that because we're so fixated on the issue itself that it's difficult for us to, it's almost like spitting it out when you're speaking such truth in that way. And I think it is something that we need to express more and talk about more, which brings me to um, my final point with you, Charles, because you're doing a lot right now in terms of outreach and being able to help the community and help other people who may be able to relate to your story. So um, before we end this, can you just tell us a little bit about some services that you provide, some books that you have written, and then how to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, I work right now for um, one of the most amazing addiction recovery programs that I've ever seen in my life called Aware Recovery Care. Mm -hmm. And it's in multiple different states. Um, we just opened up in Kentucky, it's in Florida, it's in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine, and some other states that don't come to mind at the time. But what we are is we're an IHAP program, in-home addiction treatment. Hmm. And we meet the people where they're at. And what I mean by that is, like today, I'm going out for Chinese food with a client. And we're going to talk about their recovery while we're having Chinese food. You know, yesterday I had a, a graduation um, for a client. We went, the whole team, they have a team that, that works with them throughout the whole year. We have the client for a year, which I love because I worked in detoxes and stuff and never had enough time with the client. But now we have a whole year. But I, I, um, I went over to uh, their house and we had pizza, you know, for, for the graduation. That's what they wanted to do, have pizza with the team, you know, and it's just an amazing, uh, amazing organization. So anyone in addiction, starting out in addiction recovery, look up awarerecoverycare.com. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, my, my books themselves they can be on they can be found on lifelongexperience.net and i have um books ranging from <clears throat> ptsd i just came out with a new edition of my operation tip book um trauma-informed program plus and it's this one is based more for um first responders and military 
That was the one that was published in December, right? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I'll make sure to link that here too. Um, The website, thank you for dropping that, lifelongexperience.net. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you, if they have questions, they want to work with you, is that the best way to reach out to you? Yes, definitely. Perfect. That's awesome. And if there's any uh, um, veterans programs listening, I have come out with a line for PTSD awareness, for um, a line of like coffee cups and clothing and stuff. And I'm looking for someone to donate the money to, like donate a portion of the proceeds to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. So we'll go ahead and link all that down below. You'll request access to the group. So if anybody has any more questions, you can go ahead and drop them here and then we'll make sure to tag you, Charles. So Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And Charles, thank you so much. And thank you for clarifying the whole Massachusetts situation for me. Massachusetts. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Stick, Stick around here, Charles. Have a good day, everybody.